Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show's Inside the Ropes episode number 104. That is just outstanding. And they said we wouldn't get past 14, but here we are. <laughs> 14? 90 later. I know where 14 came from, Hazy. How lovely it is to see you. And you, mate. Um, big show. Now, we're, all, we're going to be a bit all over the shop this week. You have, may I just say, you have performed heroically in pulling this together this week. Oh, oh. I'll, I'll consider that a, a great compliment when I see the podcast hit <laughs> right. the newsstands. So we are recording on a Tuesday afternoon. Tomorrow morning, uh, you and Stacey Peters will be catching up with Adam Scott, in yeah. the, it, it, which is magnificent. <laughs> um, and fingers crossed on the eve of the US Women's Open, Hannah Green as well. Yeah. So um, Stacey and you will be conducting those two interviews because I'm unavailable tomorrow morning when you have the only chance you get to – access a couple of these players who are elsewhere on planet Earth at the moment. Yeah, in the cut and thrust of, you know, important events for them, particularly, I mean, not that the memorial isn't a big deal, but uh, particularly for Hannah in front of the biggest event on the women's calendar all year, it's great that she'll pick up the phone and, you know, I'm confident that she'll appear. So hopefully (laughs) this all makes sense when you're listening to it. Such is the nature of these things. It'll all all come out okay in the wash. Speaking of the Women's Open, um, we send a, we've got a pretty strong hand, obviously, um, and if a couple could find something like their best form, it could be even a little bit stronger. There's an interesting dimension to this year's Women's Open, and that is where we're going to be playing it. This, there's a great yeah. fascination for the world of golf with this tournament. There really is, um, and, and probably something for the purists in a sense, but um, the Charleston or the Country Club of Charleston in South Carolina um, is host to the event for the first time, and it's a Seth Rayner course. And if you don't know who Seth Rayner is, you won't be alone because he's never held, had a course that's hosted a major championship before, but yet he's produced some of the most uh, widely revered properties in North America, but they all tend to be privately held and really hard to get onto. Mm. So, so while they're reviewed by those who can access them very uh, fondly, um, this is the first time we're really going to get to see it in championship mode, any of his courses. And I'm, I'm led to believe they're quite different. Uh, different from American courses? Yeah. yeah or different d- from one another? Different from the traditional American yeah. courses. So yeah. my understanding of this, Annie, and, and knowing a little bit of that topography there, it's basically you know the river's running down to that sort of uh, Georgia, South Carolina delta. So it's a very flat land. Yep. Uh, just right there on the Atlantic coast at Charleston. So he hasn't got much to work with in terms of hills. Uh, his defences are uh, greens that are raised. Um, they've got really distinct platforms where the pins will be, uh, you know, r- raises and drops. So you're going to need really precise um, flighting of your ball to get it into the zone where you can score. 
Uh, they're going to be wide, which is going to be great. Yeah, good. Uh, but there's going to be the way Clates would have it. I'm not suggesting for a millisecond that Clates would design courses like Seth Rayner, but the better angle to those pins is to be gained by flirting with bunkers on the side of the fairway. So uh, it's risk-reward. Anyone could hit the fairway, but if you want to shoot a good score, you're going to have to bite off a bit more. And I think that's great. And apparently his bunkers are uh, have big – they're quite deep and they've got um, grassy walls – uh, and they often find themselves in very short-sighted positions to the important pins uh, on on later in the week. So it's going to be fascinating to see a new design because we, you know, we were quite strident in our criticism. I think last week of, oh, yeah, of Beth Page Black, and yeah. I think justifiably. Not everyone agreed, by the way. Oh, we, I, love, I love the social media sort of correspondence. We get it's a really respectful yep. audience that we've got here on this show, and it's terrific. We're really lucky, and I think that uh, some of the clips that Justin Falconer cut up and sent around, um, you know, made it around the world. We had Rich Beam. Yeah. Engaged in conversation, which was fantastic. A former USPGA champion, of course. Um, but there was there were plenty of people from the United States buying in and criticising our criticism, which is totally fine if they do it respectfully. Uh, and yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see another take. So he's got uh, a version of his own uh, Redan hole, which I think is from North Berwick. I'm not. This isn't me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This no, is no, not no. my strong suit yeah, here by any yeah. means. But he's got a version of the famous Redan hole and. A couple of others. Um, there's a lion's mouth, which has got. Um, if I could try and paint the picture for you, it's a, it's a, a big U, a, like an N shape around a front middle bunker. Okay. Uh, it's called the lion's mouth, I think, from memory. Um, so I'm not doing this with any notes here. So if I'm wrong, I apologise. Uh, but yeah, it should be really interesting to see uh, how the women attack it. And the best thing about this is, hopefully, it's dry enough for us to actually see this. A lot of false fronts, but you can run the ball up to the green. So if, this is what I was going to ask. Is it is it going to be one of those more frequently seen, you know, American courses where it's, you know, two feet off the green, you're in ankle deep rough, or are there going to be run-ups and run-offs? And I think you and I and others around the table that we share doing this show are much fonder of the ability to run balls up on the greens yep. and run offs if you miss it in the wrong spot. And then the number of shots you've got to play thereafter are infinitely greater. Um, is he a designer of... Well, I'm going to say because of the fact that we've got raised greens, that we, and I know for a fact that there there are definitely run-ups, yep. I assume that there's not that the run-offs apply at the back. There's definitely going to be bunkers on the short-sided uh, approach wait. to tight Can't pins wait. as opposed to rough. So the sand is going to be a legitimate penalty here as opposed to the reprieve from the six-inch deep rough that was seen at Bethpage Black. Yeah, good, good. I, I can't wait. Um, I think anything that you get, any American designers who choose to sort of buck the increasingly sort of familiar trend with American golf, and we saw it a bit on the PGA Tour this week, again, a bit more of the same, you know, taking nothing away from the winner who wins. When he wins, he's not everyone's cup of tea, Kevin R, but when he wins, he wins – he enjoys his victories he and he wins well and he's a great celebrator of victory and the stuff he did with Tiger after after the win was terrific, to Tiger after the win was terrific. But again, there's a bit more of the same about too many of these yeah. tournaments coming out of America these days and it's a shame, I think, because you've got so many great players oh, playing in these fields. And they have got a great variety of courses, but you know we don't necessarily get to see no, them. No, we I, don't. I, Seth Rayner apparently has some classics regarded as classics in really 
hidden in hoity-toity parts of the United States. So, I, <laughs> right up your US, alley. Oh, yeah. The USGA gets a lot of stick and will no doubt get stick this week and definitely will get stick at Pebble Beach regardless of what happens. Something always bites yep. them on the backside. Yep. It's just almost a tradition. It's a sport for, you know, to shoot Mike Davis for a week. Yep. But uh, I, for one, I, you know, and I understand why. There's been some calamitous errors in the past few years. However, um, I am really happy to see them take – if we're not going to get to see the classic courses that Clates talks about, you know, the Chicago Golf Club, for mm. example, things like that, if we're not going to get to see them uh, on any sort of semi-regular basis or at all, I would like to see Erin Hills and Chambers Bay. So would I. And and this new one here this week, the Charleston or the Country Club of Charleston, put in play on their on their rotor. So I'm really happy to see different varieties, of course, because it's I know that American, like we sit here and we pot American golf sometimes, but you know it is the it is the, the vanguard of the sport over no, there. Yeah. Like, you know, they need to be leading and I hope that they lead us in innovative ways. So 17 under wins at Kingsmill. Um, it hasn't been a great, hasn't been a banner year for Australian golf, to be honest. I, I, sorry, a banner week for Australian golf. We didn't have too many sticking their nose, ultimately in frames, no matter where around the world you went to see how Australians were performing. But Minji Lee, again, top 15, top 13, I think she finishes. Um, she'll go in one of the players to beat clearly. Hannah Green's got an enormous game. Like we, we know we've been excited about the prospects. You've been telling us about her for, you know, the better part of three years now. And she's been really sort of coming on strong in the last six to 12 months. And you never know, Kari Webb makes the cut. So, and there's going to be others as well, but they were the three that got through to the weekend on, um, this weekend on the LPGA tour, yeah, and we w- we won't get to touch much on it. So I'll credit to Bronte Law because she's mm. been knocking on the door, and good to see her get a chance and at a victory there. The young English woman. Uh, the other one I'm interested in, Andy, around the US Women's Open is Gabby Ruffles. Mm. Uh, Fantastic we, story. Yeah, we saw her qualify, and we made note of that a few weeks ago when she did um, a major championship debut. I'm pretty sure it's an LPGA tour debut, to be honest. So <laughs> what a That's what awesome, a place to start That's your pro awesome. career at the. You know, yeah. just a, a bulletproof USGA setup of the Women's US Open. It, it, what a, she'll look back on this week fondly, no matter what happens, I reckon, Gabby Ruffles. Of course she will. It's amazing. Yeah. What a fantastic sort of launch point. What a great story. What a great experience yeah. for her to have. And, you know, again, for someone who was not playing golf five years ago, this is fairy tale stuff. So yeah. keep an eye on Gabby. Um, if she makes the cut, it'll be, you know, a win for the ages, I reckon, but you know, if she, having said that, if she gets a chance in two, three, four years' time, mm-hmm. she'll be thinking victory. That's well, that's who she is. Everybody's wired differently, but you think about um, things that would whet appetites, and she's clearly decided to play golf now, um, and she's making an enormous fist of it. But can you imagine, you know, in these <laughs> the early stages of her professional career? For her to get um, exposure and access to this, what that must, what that's going to do to her want for more, um, you can't even imagine what it's going to be like. No, and she's just finished her or a second year of mm. college, so you know the world is right in front of her. Um, so there's two segues there. Um, one is to continue on with the Ruffles name. So we generally get to the Latin America tour later rather than sooner. Um, the two boys who are flying the flag down there are Endicott and the other Ruffles. They had reasonable weeks. I don't know. It's a question without notice, but do you know where they're at in terms of, um, you know, where they have to be in terms of you know, money list to get themselves out of that and at least onto the kind of, you know, early stages of 
qualifying at web.com? Yeah. Uh, so you need to be in the top five mm. at year's end. Uh, and Ryan had a chance to really – nothing cement in South America, I don't think. <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> Especially in construction of some properties that you see on the television coverage. <laughs> uh, but that aside, he had a chance. He was fourth before this last week, and he uh, was in a position to strike after the third round uh, in Mexico, but um, drifted away a bit with a final round 70. I know that sounds really bizarre, mm. but I think that was even par, and, and the world went past him. The winner shot 62 on, in the final round, for example. So he, he finished 17th and fell to fifth. So he's still in the top five that he needs to be. Uh, Harris Nendicott finished ninth, and I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, Andy, without on the question without notice. I haven't got the answer to that, but I think he's somewhere in the high teens. Yeah, we need he needs he needs he needs a first or a second. As oh, definitely soon as possible. You yeah, know? yeah, the yeah. Fir- and first, you, yep. you know, Ryan's been clearly the most consistent player on the tour so far, mm. but without a win, mm. and he's still. Um, you know, if it goes, if it went on consistency, he would be number one. But as an, as a, uh, a statistically skewed advantage to winning tournaments, so definitely Harrison is going to need to win one at some stage. So the other jumping off point off the back of qualifying for the women's U.S. Open was the sectional qualifications for the U.S. Open, which are happening all over the place. I noticed in Dallas, Matt Jones qualified the top ten. Did we mentioned that last week. Yeah. Oh, that was that was last week, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and we talked about Mike Weir as well. That's right. Was that last week? Yeah, things oh, are, are passing by. Sorry about that, Andy. No, there you go. It's my old brain not operating very well. So uh, we'll continue to watch the rest of those play out that's um, the, that's, as they do. That's uh, they re, they regard that in the US uh, when that happens as the longest day in golf because you know, yeah. it's played basically from sun up on the east coast to I think there used to be one in Hawaii. It's not anymore, I don't think. But sundown in California. Yeah. 36 holes across the country, yeah, so it just correct. goes forever, plus the one in, I think there's one in Japan and one in the Walton Heath that Min Woo Lee talk, talked to mm-hmm. us about. So, you know, it's it's all to play for there because I think we've only got five in at the moment. Uh, we've got seven women in the women's Open and five in the men's at Pebble Beach, which is in two or three weeks' time. So, yeah, it's all happening. Uh, Kevin Nah, <laughs> Go on. Well, I just have, as a, as a flag-bearing member of the um, – the Bannister file, um, he automatically falls in the category, even though he's quirky, of people I don't really flock to. Is yep. that a nice way of putting yeah, it? Yeah, no, no, I understand that. He, he's not, he doesn't ask to be watched. No. Often. No. You know? and, and, you know, he, he seems very engaging when he, he speaks. Does. He does. And I want to like him, but yep. when I get him over a ball, it, it all dissipates really quickly for me. So happy to see him. I, he, he was in a bit of byplay with Tiger, as you mentioned, you know, that he. Tiger mocked him a little bit with the walking putts in um, celebration during, um, well, I forget what tournament that was. Might have even been the Masters, was it? Oh, no, the Players' well, Championship. Players, maybe. I reckon it was, yeah. Yep. Players, it was. Wouldn't have done that at the Masters. And um, Kevin Nah missed a putt that he thought was in, I think, in the first round of the one he just won and started walking it in. Yep. And it missed. And he saw a replay back of it, and he decided to put the walking the putts in in the bag, Andy. No more walking putts in for Kev, um, which I, that's disappointing to me. I love the walk-in. <laughs> he, he, look, he, he seems to – he doesn't have ultimate success very often, um, but when he does, he seems to handle success pretty well. He enjoys it. Um, so for all of the challenges that he offers, we as consumers of the sport um, – I, I appreciate that with him. Good, good good luck to him. There was something about Jordan Spieth. He had he doubled the last, but he was charging late. He wasn't going to win, um, but 
he, I think he birdied from memory five of his last seven holes and a double on on his last. So there's just some signs, I reckon, in the last couple of weeks mm. that maybe Spieth starting he's, he's starting to play enough, starting to shoot enough low scores, yeah. to suggest that it's coming back. It's, the, it's the birdie bus is going past you. Stop enough times, don't you reckon? It Absolutely. feels like it feels like it's coming back a bit now, Spieth. Yeah, I don't think it'll be too long, and and when he when it clicks and he finds that victory, I think we'll be back to normal Spieth uh, operations. Grim week for the Australians. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, on the on that tour, um, Aaron Baddeley was the only one who made the cut. Um, finished tied for 48th. Didn't really fire too much of a shot, to be honest. Best round was 69, just to make the cut in the second round. Matt Jones, um, because I tipped him in my tipping competition, of course, of course. and he hasn't missed a cut in Texas for right. about 35 years, duly missed the cut. Thanks, Matt. Jonah. And uh, Rod Pampling also missed the cut there. So that was disappointing from the Aussies, because I know... Um, Matt and Rod in particular love playing in Texas. That's mm. you know big part of their lives around there. So uh, they'll they'll be flat with that, especially against a field. And I'm not knocking Kevin Nah that no, no, it wasn't. wasn't no, it wasn't ship shape really. No, and no, no. and um, that's what we will see this week. And what we'll talk to Scotty about later is you know, I guess partly anyhow is um, tuning up, tapering for big events mm. and the big the big guns. Are at you know higher this week um, at Jack's place to to play the Memorial. So, so tighter. So he'll, the Australians will have a much deeper and um, more significant contingent turning it up this week. Tiger climbs back into such is the nature of the mathematics yeah. about uh, official world golf rankings. He climbs up to a high. It's a it's a several year high. Um, the last time somebody on it, you might even know the last time he was up to number five in the world, but it would have to be. God, I'd, we should we'll check that out, Andy. It'd have to be. F- Four or five years at least, I reckon, since he's been this high in the world rankings, yeah, it'd wouldn't be it? Fifteen, I reckon. Yeah, it'd be fifteen. Fifteen, yeah, I think yeah. from memory. Uh, one thing of interest to me, uh, if you can talk a little bit, Andy, while I find, uh, well, if I, you talk about something, and I'll talk to you about uh, what uh, Travis Smythe says about the web.com tour, you might find that of interest. Well, I look forward to enormously uh, hearing what <laughs> Travis Smythe's got to say about the web.com tour. We've spent enough time talking about. It and if, as far as pathways go, with you know, you listen to several veteran Australian players and our very own Mike Clayton about it as a um, you know significant kind of pathway point to getting to where you want to go. I think most people would suggest that there's, and I know, I have no idea what Travis might said about well, you, it. You've actually said something really of interest because so that was we mentioned last week. That was the Evans Scholars Invitational in Chicago on the web.com tour. And the results were, for the Australian perspective, Brett Druitt did really well, mm. closed with a 65, roared home to finish uh, at 12 under and tied for 14th. Rian Gibson and Travis Smythe both finished at five under. Um, great for Trav to make the cut in his first crack on that tour. Yep. Um, and you'd be thinking, especially after shooting 69, to finish with a, you know, not a great check, but, you know, keep the wolves from the door sort of operation at tied 53rd. And this is what he tweeted uh, late on his, where are we? Probably probably on his Monday morning when he woke up and went to check the world rankings, I reckon. Yeah. Just looked at OWGR Limited and saw that world ranking points only go to the top 15 on the web.com tour. What kind of joke is that? I spoke to multiple past PGA Tour players and all said that Webb is just as strong as the main tour apart from maybe the top 20% of the guys. Depth is there on both. So you talk about you know, really raising, your, yeah, yeah, raising yeah. your points and he's obviously had that inkling, got up to say, well, what have I done? What's 53rd on the web.com tour got me uh, in terms of OWGR standings? And he's got up this morning and been given a bit of a wet salmon straight to the mush. 
should it not? I, I totally take on board his point and the frustration. Should he have known that? Um, or should somebody around him, whoever's helping him sort of plot his way through and navigate his way to where he wants to go, should I, they, should, I didn't know I, that. I wouldn't have known it. No, but you know, last week when we talked to Min Woo Lee, like he, he talks about how, you know, he puts a lot of stock in IMG mm. for, uh, you know, to help him plot his way around the world. And, you know, should I go here? Should I go there? And I'm assuming that Trav would have that. I'm, I'm not, it was Octagon. I apologize if it's not, but it's a different crowd. Yeah, yeah. But he's, he's almost like a free agent. He's running around, trying his hand on different tours, mm. just trying to, you know, catch lightning in a bottle to, you know, make that big move. And, for him to be in the states, take the opportunity of Monday qualifying, get it. I reckon that him in his in his in, clearly in his mind, he's thinking, you know, if I make the cut here, even if I don't bank a big check, this is going to be worthwhile. And the answer is no, no. And I and I didn't know that, so maybe it was never discussed. Um, I'm sh- I'm assuming that um, I'm I'm assuming they wouldn't have uh, omitted to tell him that. I just think that uh, that's a well. I, how far do you know? I suppose it's his profession to know that. Well, I, I just I like, that's kind of what I'm getting. I mean, whoever is advising, you speak to the kid, Roker, what, what are our priorities? Well, my priority is to get my world ranking points up, you know, mm. as quickly as I can. Oh, well, the best thing to do then is to go here. Mm. Um, they've sent him there. And I would have thought that, again, I opened myself up to massive criticism here because I don't understand um, how the points are allocated everywhere else on the planet. But I would, have th- I would think, for example, over in Europe, you make the cut, you get points. You would get world rankings points uh, attached to that. Whereas I would have thought that the people who are steering any young player to web as opposed to Asia or Europe or wherever it might be, Japan, um, they would – have take listen if if you are if if it's a, not about money if you want to play in America and get exposure and then go there but if it's about world rankings points then maybe we need to try and hook you into playing golf somewhere else so I would have thought that might have been presented to him so that it wasn't a shock yeah when when the when the opposite occurred that's a fair cop and you know what it's probably um, you know we could take that on board in, at Golf Australia as well I'm, I'm I'll tell the high performance crew that because I'm I don't know if they know that. Mm. Um, you spoke earlier, Andy, of feedback, and there was plenty of great feedback to Min Woo Lee last week, mm. uh, just that people were really keen to he- hear his path and see what he's confronting. He has obviously learned, because um, I, I, I could not say to you more stridently how myopic he was in terms of being in the United States. For the past four or five years of his career as an amateur, he has had laser focus on getting to the PGA mm. Tour and playing alongside Tiger Woods. Mm. You know, and, and it's taken a lot, obviously, these discussions that he mentioned with IMG to, to change tack and get to Europe. And this is what some people, e.g. Clates, have been banging on about for forever. 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 And, and if if that's true, which clearly it is, Travis got no reason to say it otherwise, um, it's another reason to consider your path if you're a young Australian emerging player which way is the best way? For, if you want to play on the US tour, which is totally fine. If you want to be an Australian domestic player for your career, that's also fine. But if you want to be the best you can be on the world rankings, it seems to me there's a shift, just a slight shift, Andy, away towards the European tour, Asian tour, Japanese tour. Because the pitfalls of, you know, Harrison Endicott's going really, really well. He's playing some really good, consistent yeah, golf. Yep. He could play his date off this year, pardon the language, and get and finish sixth 
And go nowhere. And go nowhere. And he'll be back again for another yep. merry-go-round around South America. Uh, and I don't think if, you, if you're not getting a lot of world rankings points for finishing uh, you know, relatively decently on the web.com tour, you're probably not picking them up too readily on well, in uh, Chile or uh, Venezuela. Well, you'd you? love to know, wouldn't you? Like, and this is the hypotheticals, but you'd love to know where the quality of golf that um, you know guys like Ruffles and Endicott are producing down there, you'd take that exact – Take the quality of ball striking, the quality of scoring, mm. and put it somewhere else, and see where it see, where, see where it takes you. Yep. That that's the great unknown, and and this is where this part of I'm learning so much being part of this podcast because I've never, I'm, and I suspect I'm like several people who are listening. I've never really, never taken that part of the game and that part of the business on board. That might have never really been. Um, I've never been interested enough to ask about that side of it, but now that we speak to yeah. you know young Michaelusies and young Minwoo Lus, and you speak to old curmudgeons like Clayton, <laughs> and you get a sense for, well, maybe that's not the best way. Maybe there are better ways, and I think we all, by virtue of having these conversations and seeing where these kind of performances results are getting people, and hearing the frustration, fantastic that Travis Smythe puts that out there. So yeah. we're better for knowing that. Um, I feel like we understand that part of the profession and the caper um, much better than we might have. Yeah. To a non-golfing person, they think of professional golfers as just, you know, being, you, you know, you're an ATM. Yeah, of course. You know, you just turn up at a tournament and just bank yourself another 50 grand and win a car for something and, and just drive off in that new car to your next tournament mm. and roll up there on Thursday, peg it up and away you go again and pick mm. up another check. Yeah, exactly. And the absolute reverse is true. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the we've been flooded for so long with American influence in our lives more broadly, but specifically around golf in this instance, that a generation of people grew up with nothing else in their eyes. Adam Scott's generation probably is the last one. Uh, might, I'll try and, if I remember it tomorrow morning, Andy, I'll ask him, mm. um, to think of Europe as the, you know, a viable way yeah. to get it going. And there's, there's 20 years in the interim from when he cut his teeth over there to when he, um, to now where all the kids have wanted to just get into the U S and we only, we've started to see, I think, you know, speaking to all the guys we've interviewed from the Japanese tour in the past mm. 12 or six, 18 months, they've been great saying this suits my life mm. so much better. It's great. It's a really good thing for us. Da, da, da. Uh, I think we're starting to see, um, more options, uh, appeal to, to the younger crew coming through and that that obviously applies to the women's too Karis Davidson um, who while we're at mentioning with the Australians yep. she was our Aussie of the week uh, another sixth place in Japan Fantastic. so awesome and and Anthony Quayle was a bit stiff not to get it. he finished seventh in the men's tour in Japan so um, they were our best performers um, great to see them taking an alternative path if Anthony Quayle you know played out his career in Japan and didn't go anywhere else except for majors or WGCs that wouldn't surprise me I'm sure he doesn't want to do that but um be carving out a pretty good career up there, I reckon. Well, some have done it, and in fact, plenty have done it before. King of in, Japan, yeah, and plenty will in the past. Exactly. So, speaking of Europe, before we um, finish it all off and get stuck into Adam Scott on the other side of the break, uh, Bernd Wiesberger wins for the fifth time in Europe. Good player, very good player. Seems to have just been um, struggling a little bit the last. Uh, had, had, 
had a wrist injury. Yeah, okay. And this is he's just finding his way back. back. Okay. I think it was probably two World Cups ago that he came down here at the peak of his game. Mm. I reckon he was really quite prominent every week, and he had a wrist injury, and it basically wrecked his 2018. Okay, right. And uh, yeah, he's just cutting his teeth again good against player. the big boys. Good really player. good player. Good competitive player, and, you know, against the very best in the world. Yeah. Now, he, he's And he's fun to watch, and he's, he's I chatted to him when he was down for the World mm. Cup representing Austria, and... Um, it, he was a really nice guy too, and that makes it a lot easier to follow. I think when you when you see that sort of thing, I think from a, an Australian perspective, there, Andy, as I flick around all my paper, Jason Scrivener was the best <laughs> Aussie tied twenty fifth. Wade Ormsby, Nick Cullen made the cut, but there was a whole truckload of Aussies who didn't have that same good fortune. That is true. Um, Righto, Adam Scott, looking forward to this. You've done a power of work to um, to make this happen. You should be enormously proud of yourself. Uh, you and Stacey Peters are going to catch up with one of the greatest that we've ever produced on the other side of the break here on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. Well, welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and we're absolutely thrilled uh, to have our next guest on, first time on Inside the Ropes. Hopefully it won't be his last, but one of Australian golf's favourite sons, Adam Scott's joined us on the line from Ohio. Scotty, we really appreciate you taking the time on the eve of a, a pretty big event for, you, for yourself this week. Yeah, absolute pleasure. No worries at all. Glad to be on. Now, I've promised you that I'm not going to ask you uh, the run-of-the-mill questions, so I'm going to give you one to ponder, and you can come back to me with an answer at any time it drops into your mind. But we were talking about what to ask you that you don't normally get asked, and, and someone in the office suggested, I need to find out what your karaoke go-to song is. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So that's, that's... I probably don't have to ponder it too, too long. I mean, none of, none of them are going to be any good. But... Uh... I got I got booed off with a mate for trying to sing "You're the Voice" by John Farnham once, so that's definitely not it. But I think it's like a Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi, you know, go with the always ballad and oh, just butcher that one instead. I didn't picture you as a power ballad sort of a guy. I had you sort of pegged as a sort of a K-San <laughs> sort of a screamer. Yeah, I probably you know I can go for that too. That's that's not bad. A bit of chisel, but the. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not really a power ballad guy either. You know, I've got nothing when it comes to hitting any kind of tone. <laughs> oh, there you go, um, mate. We we have caught you at the memorial. Um, it, it's a it's a different tact you've taken to the major championships each of the last couple of years. Have you found a formula that's working for you yet? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of I had a situation a couple of years ago where uh, you know we we changed base for the year really, and that had me in and out of Australia a lot before we had a second child and uh you know that just because of the travel schedule I had to kind of I had to play the week before I made it kind of tune up but uh yeah so I was playing the week before the major to tune up and you know that was very different from where I'd had a lot of success going into the majors before 
Um, and I'm kind of back to that old schedule now. We've moved back into the into the uh, you know our normal pace and preparing the way I want to prepare. So, mate, about the major championship specifically. I mean, if you look back uh, at your record, I mean, obviously the, the win at Augusta National in 2013, but I think 17 I counted, 17 other top 10 finishes in major championships. Do you look back at that mm-hmm. already and go, that is just a stellar career by any measure, as we all would, I think? Or do you look back and go, if only I'd converted one or two more? Or how, What's your thought process on that? Well, I think I was really in position. I mean, quickly thinking about it, there was three or four that you know I, sh- I should have closed out or if you know, the right thing happened at the right time uh, for me, you know, it's a bit of a game of luck at times, you know, the right little thing goes in or the right bounce here, here or there, you know, I definitely feel like I, I was clearly in position to win three or four, uh, and I didn't. And then you look at a guy like Brooks Kepka who's been in position to win four and he's won four. Um, you know, I think it, my major record is split over two different areas in my career. I mean, I think I had like two top tens the first 10 years of my career and they've all come in the last kind of 10 years. So uh, it's been very interesting because I certainly found a formula probably from 2011 and onwards that worked very well for me to prepare and try and peak at majors. But uh, you know, in fact, the last four majors I've teed it up, I've started Sunday thinking I can win the tournament. So mm. at the moment, I'm on a good run in the majors. It's it's a fine line at the top of any sport, I guess. And, you know, I'm very close. And while this run is happening, I just need to keep pushing. And fortunately, I've got two majors coming up here very shortly that hopefully I can feel like if I'm teeing off Sunday and I feel I can win, I'll probably, well, not probably, but I, I believe I can win one of them. So just on that, you've two-part question. You've, you've run into the Kepka sort of buzzsaw a couple of times. And, you know, you've finished really well mm. in both the last PGA Championships. Do you sort of look at him and be green with envy or do you just stand back and applaud a little bit? Because I'm going to, I'll put it to you that I don't reckon you've played much better golf than the PGA Championship in St. Louis last year. That was awesome golf, but it just you know it just wasn't mm. your time. Yeah, look, it's a bit of both. I mean, you have to applaud what he's done, uh, you know, when you step out of trying to compete against him. And, yeah, absolutely, there's a bit of envy in there too because, you know, like I just said, I've, I feel like I've knocked on the door more than four times, but I've been right there. But I feel like I could have won four of them and I've won one. Uh, and he's managed to convert each one. So, uh, you know, fair, fair play to it. I think I had my chance at the PGA at uh, Bell Reeve last year. Uh, and, you know, in fairness to him, he kind of flipped, flipped it on me on 15. I had all the momentum on 14T, and we both made par, and then, I hit a good putt on 15, missed from 20 feet, and he rolled it in from 12 and then stepped up on the next tee and hit it to three feet from 250 yards. So, you know, he kind of flipped the momentum and and made it very difficult for me. Um, And that's what you could do when you've got to win big tournaments. I think you've got to think you've got to go out and win it and not let someone else hand it to you. Uh, That's very high standards out there. So, I'm pretty optimistic. 
tell that there's there's more majors to come. Hey, Scotty, uh, Stacey Peters here. Thanks very much for joining us today. Hey, um, cool. While we're on the topic of the majors and you playing well in them of late, uh, is there anything specific you put that down to? Is it your preparation? Do you prepare that much differently for a major than a regular tour event? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, you try not to change too much all the time, but it's inevitable because so many things change. So, you know, sometimes it's coach, sometimes it's caddy, sometimes it's trainer. Uh, All these kind of different things change at times. And, uh, you know, over, I guess, the last, 18 months, you know, there's been been some changes and now things have really steadied off and, you know, there's been some productive work done. But absolutely, I treat the majors very differently than other tournaments. I mean, it's really it's really a long preparation period, I'd say, at least three or four weeks going into it. It's not often I play more than two tournaments in the month leading into a major. There's a lot of work done at home, on the range, behind the scenes to kind of peak for that major week and uh, I think I feel like when I got to Bethpage I was as prepared as anyone for that event and I wasn't surprised I played fairly well. Yeah yeah um, and while we're rolling on the topic of uh, majors uh, I just wanted to touch on the Masters and obviously you put yourself into great position you know going into the weekend but how exciting was it to see uh, Tiger win and how's the effect been that you know, Tiger winning on, I guess, golf just around the uh, around the it, world in general. It's huge. I mean, it's almost unbelievable. But that's Tiger's whole career story, isn't it? When you think about it, mm. um, you know, when you look back over stats, you can and achievements, and yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we saw one today. He's won three PGA Tour events eight times each. You know, <laughs> I mean, just that—that's <laughs> twenty-four events, <laughs> three venues. Yeah. It's crazy stuff like this. And he's got tons of them. And then, you know, he's written off his back shot and he's old <laughs> and whatever it is. And then <laughs> he comes back and wins the Masters 11 years since he's won a major. It's it's truly, the whole thing is incredible and it's exciting for golf. It's, for me, who played a lot around and with Tiger when he was really a dominant force, it's nice to see him... Uh, playing at top level again after his ups and downs, I guess, over the last five or six years, because uh, you know the memories I have of the way he played is so great that he's still out here doing it is good for everyone. Is he different off the course now, Scotty? Is he more more human? I definitely think he's a little more relaxed. I mean, I I wouldn't. Um, say completely relaxed but he's definitely more approachable and personable than than you know in his dominant years and but look he played he played the game well with everyone he did everything he possibly could to get an advantage and Mm. i think a lot of that stuff helped him and uh you know with the intimidation and all that kind of stuff so um but he's at a very different stage in his career now and I think uh, maybe foolishly some of the people who are enjoying him being approachable are being sucked into a <laughs> false sense of security with him. <laughs> you reckon he can go old school tiger at the drop of a hat, do you? 
<laughs> Absolutely, no <laughs> doubt. I mean, he is he is hardwired to you know step on someone's throat when he has to. That's that's a great way of putting it, mate. Uh, we're, we're gearing up for Pebble Beach. There was a lot made of the setup at Bethpage Black. Um, obviously, the games change with the, the distance the ball now travels. Do you have an opinion on the course setups for major championships and and who it does and doesn't disadvantage in just by the way that the organisers set each one up? Yeah, well, I thought they did best page very well. It was difficult, for sure. But uh, it was an interesting mix. Of course, there were a couple of long hitters uh, up the top, but that's a long golf course. It always has been. You know, they haven't lengthened it out longer than, uh, you know, to make it particularly long. It's just always been a tough track. Uh, but there was an interesting mixed bag of guys on that leaderboard. I mean, who wouldn't have been backing Jordan Spieth to finish third? True. necessarily. I mean, he's a great player, but not necessarily long. So um, Pebble will be interesting because it isn't long uh, at all. It'll be interesting to see how they play it. Uh, of course, you know, it's, who knows what the USGA is thinking. They've managed to make a meal of many US Opens lately, so hopefully they don't do that at the US Open. <laughs> I'm not going to take you down that path. I don't want to get you in trouble on your first Inside the Rabbits appearance. We all learn from our mistakes. <laughs> um, well, apparently they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, mate, I couldn't, ask, couldn't let you go without asking about your putting. Everyone talks about it all the time. We saw a fascinating statue. Yeah. I'm not sure what you saw of it on uh, the Golf Channel coverage from Bethpage Black. They were talking about some of the ones that you missed up close, but they also said you're the number one putter on tour from 15 to 20 feet, which we were discussing last week. Yeah. Do either of those things shock you or is that just the Adam Scott world? Um, no, I mean, generally my putting has been good this year. I mean, if I can, it, it's funny, the week I struck it the best, I I putted not at the same standard <laughs> that I had been, but uh, it's nice to be holding some 15 and 20 footers. That certainly helps the scorecard. Um, and you know, my stats are maybe the best this year since 2004. So I'm putting very well, which is nice and makes walking on the course feel good every day. But uh, it's interesting because I've used five different putters this year. So uh, I just go with whatever I feel is best and it's working. So you just make it, you wake up and you go through your, on the putting green and go through your bag and just pick one and whack it in on the day? <laughs> I just carry around five and just close my eyes and whatever. No, I, uh, yeah, I just really putt with whatever I feel is going to be the easy, whatever I don't have to think about it most with. I mean, it, you know, when you've been out here a long time and, and or played a lot of golf, you know, everyone uh, has different thought processes with everything. And putting for me is all about not thinking about it and just doing it and, when I start getting into, you know, where my eyes are over the ball and fiddling around and just not hitting it at the hole and trying to make it, then it gets too complicated. So I go with whatever keeps me the most free and uh, kind of instinctual. And that that's a much more fun way to play than kind of trying to be perfect. Have you have you got like a trigger when you realise you're getting too technical or, or anything like that where you just go, oh, pull back, mate, pull back, I've got to do X or Y? Yeah, yeah, but it's it's not easy to just click your fingers and change that. You know, you kind of have to, um, you know, 
you break break free somehow, and that's not easy when you're out on the course with every you got to count every shot and care. You know, it, it's what everyone battles. You know, some people battle it with chipping, some people battle it with putting, some people can't get off the tee when things are going bad. <laughs> it's it's such a mental game, yeah. and uh, yeah, there are absolutely triggers, and that's part of it. You have to understand yourself, but. I mean, it's relative, isn't it? I think I'm like 19th in putting on tour this year. So, um, you know, even if I'm 100th, the strength of my game of striking the ball keeps me being one of the best players in the world. If I can just pick up my own play a little bit right now and keep putting like this, I feel like I'm going to be winning a lot of golf tournaments. It's, it's very close. Awesome. Yeah. Um, now, Scotty, I know we said we weren't going to ask uh, the repetitive questions and stuff, but I did just want to touch on the Olympics and whether your, you know, your mm-hmm. thoughts were still the same as they were in Rio. And um, but I guess you know nobody really questions your patriotism, and you know we know that you represent Australia with pride. Like every time you step on that first tee, but I just wanted to, I guess, sure. yeah, see where your thoughts were with uh, Tokyo. It's not really on my priority list uh, that. You know, I'll make a decision about it if I make the team at, the, at that time. It's not something I really shoot for because I don't believe it has a lot of revel, revel, uh, relevance to pro golf at all. Uh, so I guess my thoughts haven't really changed. That doesn't mean I wouldn't consider playing. I certainly think the event will be very differently received in Tokyo than it would have than it was in Brazil. And in fact, I'm sure it'll it'll present a lot better in Tokyo because they're golf fans over there. They're going to love it. Uh, but I I still question the intent of what they're trying to do by putting golf in the Olympics, which is a whole big another conversation. And it's kind of boring. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of my feeling. You know, it's a decision I'll make at that time if I have to make that decision. Yeah, okay. Well, that's good. That uh, You give us a little bit of hope there, Adam. That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty, one last one. I know something else that hasn't changed for you is a passion for the uh, the President's Cup. You've been the, I want to say, the spiritual leader of the international team for the for the best part of a decade, or fully a decade now. Um, I, know, I don't want to make. I don't you... know if I've done a good job there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make you sound old or anything, mate. But it's mm. it's been a passion of yours. I know that. Um, what's you're back on home soil in December. Hopefully you're in the squad mm. straight up, but I'm sure you'll get a captain's pick if you don't. Uh, is it? Oh, thanks. Are you giving that to me? Yeah, no, I spoke, Can I relax? <laughs> I, spoke to, I spoke to Ernie the other day. Mate. Ernie you should, told you, you that? Yeah, you should yeah, be right. Good, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 just, uh, I just know how what it means to you, and, and you have been through some good times, some hard times with it. What's going to be different, given that I've put you in the team, what's going to be different at Royal Melbourne in December? Look, I think uh, Ernie's really attack this head on he's putting everything into this and he's made some significant changes and hopefully they're changes that take place before the event so that we're able to perform at our best and the american team's going to be very tough to beat but i think there's lots of things that you know the international team needs to take a little more seriously before getting there when coming up against like the well-oiled machine that the US players seem to be. Um, maybe taking a leaf out of Europe's book or even the US book after they got a bit of a thumping a few years. Um, 
by Europe and set up a task force and really got down to the nitty gritty of it. So I think a lot of things behind the scenes are uh, are being done in the correct way. So we're very prepared when we're there. But, you know, the biggest thing I think for me that I'd like to think is, you know, I'd really love this to be a home game as far as the crowd uh, favoritism, if you want to yeah. say. But I know it's exciting for everyone to see Tiger and Phil and Dustin and Ricky and Jordan, you know, the list goes on and on, Brooks come down and play. But, you know, we really need the crowd on our side and, you know, unfairly so. Not not in any nasty way at all, of course, but, you know, <laughs> a little silence for their good shots would be good <laughs> and make them feel like they're on our turf. Yeah. Because it's a very hard thing for us to do when we travel and there'll be a few Aussies in the team, hopefully. But, um, you know, and when you go to all these other places, they're so excited to see the big American stars. Um, you know, I want to feel that crowd support and that'll help us out tremendously. And just, you know, if we can just somehow make them feel a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> that'd be really good. I'm sure, what you know, listening, you've obviously said that. Ernie's gone with that. How Tong Lee's just got to be treated as, as if he's a... Australian cricket team member, and we support him like yeah. Bay 13. Listen, let's just get him eating a pie straight out the gates, and he's in for the week. There we go. <laughs> I think you're onto something. Mate, we could talk to you all day. Yeah. I know you've got to go, and you've got other things to attend to, so we really appreciate your time, and hopefully we can uh, we can do it again sooner than later. No problem. The best Fantastic. of luck. In it. I'll go for the case sand next time I'm at karaoke. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if you record that, you can send it straight to us and we'll pump it out over the airwaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll release it Perfect. on your, uh, on your show. <laughs> Good man. Thanks that very much, Adam Scott. We really okay. appreciate your time. No problem. Pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks. See ya. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and it's it's a plethora of guests we've got this week. It's a big week for golf, and we couldn't be more thrilled that a, a regular visitor uh, to the Inside the Ropes world has come back for another crack at the title. It didn't scare her off last time. I speak, of course, of Hannah Green, who's preparing for one of the big weeks on the women's tour. Hannah, welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It has been a while, but um glad to be back. We keep speaking your name, though, so we, you haven't been lost to our listeners. Well, that's good. I'm glad I've made it on the podcast. <laughs> and of course, we're joining you. We're joining you in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, there for the U.S. Women's Open. Undoubtedly, the biggest week on the LPJ Tour schedule. How, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, on the eve of the big tournament. Yeah. So um, I just played uh, my second practice round today. Um, played with Sue and Tari, which is really nice. Um, I'm used to watching them. Um, play uh, the U.S. Open, so it's nice for myself to be able to play myself. Um, so it's really nice to play with both of them and get their support and also see what they do, um, you know, how they practice and prepare. This week's a little different to what we're used to. It's not typically, you know, it's not an awfully long course and not uh, thick rough and quick greens like I guess uh, the USGA normally sets up for us. So 
Um, that might be a little bit of an advantage um, to me, I think. Um, I feel like I'm coming in to the event with some pretty good form after last week's results. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Does it feel a little bit odd to you? And we'll come back to the talk about the course, etc. Does it feel a little bit odd to you that, you know, it seems like about 25 minutes ago that you were winning Curry Webb scholarships and, and, as you say, sort of watching this from the other side of the ropes, that now you're there in the thick of it and, you know, right in the middle of the action? Yeah, it definitely is strange. Um, when I was registering, like, it's been a long time since I've played a USGA event, so I know what the registration is like, but, like, getting all my passes and getting stuff with my name on it, I was like, oh, this is a little strange, you know, normally I've got Kari's name on there. So <laughs> it is obviously a great change, um, and I've always wanted to play a US Open, so I'm really happy to be here, and um, I've actually seen this golf course prior to the event, so that's always nice to come back to somewhere familiar too. And, and it's uh, Stacey Peters here. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, good thing. Um, you've been home for a couple of weeks prior to last weekend. How was uh, how was that for you? Yeah, it was really nice. Um, took the first week off to pretty much just relax and try and catch up with friends and family and then got back into it the second week. Um, but, I mean, I, I can't complain. The weather was great for me. Uh, I think there was only one day of rain and even then it wasn't that bad. So, um, yeah, it was really nice to just, you know, freshen up and get ready for this next stretch of events. And obviously then, you know, having a good result last week after a bit of a break, that must give you a lot of confidence heading into this week? Yeah, definitely. I feel like your first week uh, back after, you know, having a couple of weeks off can always be a little bit iffy. There's, um, it's hard to practice under, you know, tournament conditions. And especially when you're at home, maybe you can get a little bit slack and maybe not work as hard as you normally would. But, um, yeah, I'm really happy with how things are going uh, with my swing and, you know, how I'm hitting the ball. Um, so I think that will definitely help this week. Um, I guess I've been hitting a lot of greens compared to what I have last year, so that's obviously giving myself more opportunities for birdies, which is nice. So, yeah, hopefully that can continue this week and, you know, the rest of the year. Yeah, do, good. do you feel more at home or, uh, in this is the, you know, you're halfway through your second year, fully out on tour. Do you feel more at home now that it's not such a big deal? I know the US Open is a big deal at any stage, but um, I guess the question more so, can you contend the way you envisage yourself contending in the long term already? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was talking to a couple of other rookies at the start of the year and I just said it's so nice to be able to go to an event and know where registration is, know where the first tee is, know which green to put on, you know, prior to your warm-up. Stuff, just little things like that that Maybe perhaps you'd either have to find out through other players or also other caddies or your own caddy. Um, I think that's definitely what I've enjoyed the most is just knowing where, obviously, you know, majors change venues, but everyone at least is in the same boat. But for the regular tour events, um, it's really nice to have, I don't know, some familiarity. Um, and I think that's definitely helped me with my play as well this year. Um, last year, I didn't come back to Australia for a long time and, I felt like I needed to play as many tournaments as I could to make as much money and it didn't really work the way I wanted. So this year I'm taking it a little differently. Um, just focusing on you know, being happy on the golf course and off the golf course and I think so far it's working out. Yeah, it seems that way. And uh, Han, do you do any yeah. different preparation when it comes to majors? Is it just like another week for you? How does it sort of look for you the week leading up? Um, I said to myself this year that I'm actually going to take Mondays off, but besides majors. 
Um, it is nice that I got to play here three years ago. Um, so I, I remember some of the holes, but obviously it's going to be different conditions um, right now than the time of year that I play. So this, yeah, US, I guess US Open and all other majors, I typically play on a Monday, um, nine holes every day till the event. And I don't try and work harder than a normal event because I still want to win every event that I get to, but um, maybe my focus on those practice rounds are a little sharper and maybe my note-taking is a little better. Um, but it's such a long week, Majors. You don't want to burn yourself out before the tournament even starts. So I know a lot of girls try and work harder because it's more important, but then some girls you know, take it easy. So I feel like I'm just trying to see what's best for me. It's obviously my second year on tour playing Majors. So, um, yeah, I'll see how this week, this way goes. So, Han, Andy and I earlier in the podcast had a very amateur assessment of what this course is going to be. <laughs> Don't make any bones about our knowledge uh-huh. of the course, but uh, it, it sets up visually differently to a lot of uh, major championship courses on both the men's and women's side of the game. Uh, how, what's the key to playing this course? It's pretty wide. Um, it seems to me that the, the, the bunkers can be penal if you get short-sighted. Uh, how, how, will, how will you attack the course uh, set up this week? Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, from personally off the tee, I think it's not that um, not that tight, and the rough is um, pretty fair. It's not it's not long and thick like you can't advance it to the towards the green, but it definitely will make you think about where you want to leave your next shot. Because, like you said, um, the bunkers can be penalising if you're short-sighted yourself. But I think I, I like the consistency of the bunker. I feel like it's easier to spin than some events that we go to. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to hold a lot of putts. You have to be very solid on the greens. Um, definitely you can hit onto the wrong tier of some of these, um, greens. I don't know if you've seen any, anything online, but there's some quirky greens out there. So, um, avoiding tree punting is huge. And then obviously, um, you know, making those key up and downs from around the greens. So do you play defensively, you know, and just keep the ball in play and two putt your way around for a, you know, hopefully a quiet par or do you assess reassess it given the situation and you know take on a bit more off the tee to get the better lines in pins and have a crack at birdies um so pretty much off the tee it's driver everywhere for me personally um and there's not really any holes where taking it over a fairway bunker is more beneficial than you know just hitting towards the right of it um so for me personally, I'm just trying to hit as many fairways as possible so that I can have, not necessarily go for the pin, but make sure that I know how it's going to react once it hits the green. I hit a couple out of the rough today and some of them were flyers and then some also checked up quicker. So it's more unpredictable, even though it's not ridiculously you know, long. Um, I guess it's a little fluffy, which is, I guess you can get, get yeah, a flyer or get straight under it. So... Uh, I'm going to be aggressive on holes that I think um, you know, maybe the shorter holes and maybe if I'm in a good position with a you know decent club in um, that I'm confident over. But there's definitely like 17, uh, sorry, 16 and 18. They're both long par fours, and I don't think you can be aggressive with those. You just cut this put it in the middle of the green and then hope that you maybe make a good putt or two putts. So there's definitely times where you want to go for it and make your birdies, but there's also times where you need to just accept making a four is that is a good score on that hole. It's really refreshing, I reckon, to hear you sound so in charge of your plans before a major championship. We, you know, we spoke to you the last time on this show and everything was new and it sounds already like you, you found your groove and we're loving that. One of seven women there, 
representing the Australian uh, flag this weekend. Have you chatted with Gabby Ruffles in particular, making her major championship debut? Um, no, I actually haven't seen her all week. We've been on different... Well, I'm sorry, I lie. I walked past her um, <laughs> when she was playing the ninth green, but I haven't um, been able to speak to her. I know that she went to the um, amateur dinner last night and met a lot of you know ex-champions and uh, ex-players. So I think um, that would have been really good for her to be able to chat to them. And um, I guess it's her first US Open, just like mine. So she must be really happy, but, you know, excited, but nervous. So hopefully tomorrow I'll see her and be able to chat with her. I actually saw her mum out there, so that was nice. Nice. But I didn't realise there were seven of us, obviously, which is awesome. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great representation. And we, we'll let you go because we know you're just mincing around the supermarket there and you've got to get your, your, your dinner for the <laughs> evening. So we'll let you go and get your, chick, your chickpeas and your uh, other goodies that I know you'll be eating very healthily, Hannah. So... Thank you so much for sharing oh, yeah. your time with us on the eve of the tournament. We really appreciate it. And I know all of Australia is right behind you for the U.S. Women's Open this week. Thanks so much. No, awesome. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm sure hopefully next time I talk to you guys is a little closer than it was last time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll make sure that happens. Thanks, Anne. We'll make that happen. <laughs> yeah, no worries. All the best this weekend. <laughs> See ya. Thanks, guys. Absolutely lovely to hear from Hannah Greenstace and I've made a huge mistake in not introducing you before, Adam Scott and Hannah Green. Stacey Peters, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me back again, Hazy. I always, uh, <laughs> I crave to be on this show. I'm not sure it's good form to introduce a, a host in the middle of the third segment, but nevertheless, we did talk that you were coming in when Andy and I did the top segment. So hopefully people understood that it was your magnificent voice. How good to hear Hannah Green, obviously just in the checkout there and we yes. <laughs> hear a few bells and buzzers in the, uh, the equivalent of... Woolworths over yeah. there in Charleston. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she must be really excited to be playing in her first US Open, especially after being there as a spectator the last couple with mm. uh, the Curry Webb Scholarship. And yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure it'll be very exciting for her to be inside the ropes, not out this week. Oh, pardon it, the pun there, inside the ropes. Right. I'll let you off that one. <laughs> Didn't it, even mean that, Hazy. It's it's uh, it's um fascinating to me, and I, I think it's a huge credit. We often hear that it's hard to get to, and it, it is has been hard to get to Adam Scott. I make no bones about that. But it, it's really refreshing when you do get to them for whatever reasons they've got in their life. And I'm not potting anyone for that. How open and honest they are with us. Um, it's that sort of discussion with Adam that we had previously and Hannah just then. Uh, really, it makes you think about them in a far different light, I believe. It, you know, they're, they're extremely human. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, they're very open and honest and it gives the listeners, you know, a great insight to what it's really, what it's really like. And we're triply lucky because they are, Adam's obviously got a couple of weeks to go tuning up for the uh, visit to Pebble Beach, but Hannah in the middle of major championship week and the big one for her realistically, but it's going to be a really super busy time on the women's schedule the next little while. Oh, it's uh, Yeah, it's crazy time. They've got four out of the next 10 weeks, Hazy. Is that right? They've got majors. Wow. Yeah. I uh, I sort of didn't realise and I was just looking at the schedule and yeah, so they've got obviously, uh, uh, well, obviously this week, then KPMG, middle of June. So that's like the LPGA championship yep. basically. Yep. yep. And then Evian, late July, and then straight after, week after that is British Open at Woburn. Back to back. Yeah. Back to back majors. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't, as a player, I don't think I'd like it. Um, cause you know, these are the events that they're trying to be peaking for. So I don't know if it's ideal to be, you know, peaking for 14 days straight or whatever can you, that is. Can you do that? Yeah, I, I would say no. 
So yeah. are they going to get the best champion at the end of those two two majors? I, d- I don't know. Um, so th- therefore, as a player, then, and you sit down and analyse that, do you say, right, I know I can't be up for 14 days. Bugger it, I'm only just going to practice at the Evian and I'm going to f- focus on Woburn. Is that what you do? Yeah, I think I'd be picking one of those. I'd be picking, you know, s- some players, maybe a lot of the Americans don't enjoy a British Open style. Although I think this year a little bit different at Woburn. You know, it's not on the typical Lynx style golf course. Yeah. Um, but maybe, you know, I'd pick the course on which I would think would suit me more and focus towards that. Yeah. And I just think. do your best at the other one, but don't put any expectations upon yourself. Absolutely. That's how I think I would be looking at it. Um, I just think it's interesting. I guess it's just schedule reasons that it has fallen that. And mm. yeah, it's great at they're on that side of the world and schedule-wise is good. But then I guess it comes up the question again, should should there be five majors? And should there? I've actually, and I would be on record on this show saying yes previous to this, um, because I thought when it first was announced, I thought no, because I was the traditionalist and everything. And then I'm like, no, well, actually, why not? This is creating more interest in women's golf. And mm-hmm. and then I saw a lot of positives to it. But I guess I'm more against the scheduling of this, not so much the five majors. Concept so, of yeah, five. that's right. Yeah, it's tough because I, I think the the I've, I've potted them regularly on the record of, as potting some of the, yeah. the scheduling things that they do on the US tour. Mm. But I think they've done an exceptional job this year in spreading things out. Yeah, uh, you know, having the players as a sort of a prelude, and then the four major championships, one a month for for four months. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's. I didn't realize until you said that that there was four, four yeah. in ten weeks on yeah. the women's side. That's a lot of important golf. Yeah, it makes it a hard sell. Yeah, definitely for There's everyone a, involved. A lot going on. Yeah. So, but anyway, we'll see. We'll, we'll, change, we'll change our tune when uh, Minji goes back to back and then <laughs> Hannah, Hannah wins the Evian and Curry storms home to, you know, do something spectacular. And what a great schedule it would be when when that happens. Yeah, yeah we'll love it then. It'll be the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. uh, so w- what else are you going to bring to the table here, Stace? We, we, we sort of chatted, emptied the barrel with Andy a bit earlier on and, yep. and, and now it's your turn to sort of unload on a couple of things maybe. Well, the only thing I really noticed the last couple of days was uh, Tiger, number five in the world. How about that? That's... Uh, <laughs> I actually, I shouldn't say this on record, but I saw the heading on Golf Channel and I was like, oh, that can't be right. <laughs> so I went to the, the website and I was like, oh, no, no, Golf Channel is correct. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I couldn't believe it. But I just guess, I guess it's because he's not uh, defending points. and Yeah. That, so he, he missed a cut and didn't play and jumped. It went up. So, yeah, I guess that's the and system. W- what do, do you make anything of what we said earlier in the podcast about Travis Smythe? Did because Andy put it um, up for discussion, and I haven't mentioned this to you, and I apologise for not giving you a chance to sort of <laughs> do some homework. But uh, we mentioned earlier on that Travis Smythe uh, finished, I think it was fifty third on the Web dot com tour, and his de- debut over there after Monday qualifying, then didn't realise uh, until the Monday morning when he obviously went to the World Golf Rankings uh, site and saw that he didn't have any additional points that only the top 15 players on the web.com tour earn world ranking points. And he was well, clearly disappointed by that. It's funny when, cause I saw that tweet and it's really funny cause I've been taking a lot of notice of world rankings over the last few weeks because of uh, Robin Choi and same sort of thing. So she's been playing a little bit on LPGA, mostly on Symmetra. She's only made, she has only made one cut on LPGA, but you know, a handful on Symmetra tour yet hasn't gained any world ranking points for that. So that kind of, it shocked me. And then, so I was texting a couple of people about it. And then we got talking about, um, you know, ladies European tour 
gets a hell of a lot more ranking points than the Symmetra Tour. Is that and right? I was like, oh, I don't – yeah, that that really shocked me. Mm. And, you know, for those that have been involved in Symmetra Tour and stuff, like that is a very strong tour. And, I mean, that's Trav's point, I guess, in web.com as well. Same situation. Yeah. That's yeah. the secondary tour in the US for both men and women. Um, yeah, so I reckon – like that needs to be looked at. That's. Do you think we just need more transparency in, in how the, the points are allocated? Yeah, I think I think so because I like Robin wouldn't be aware of that at all. Um, I never, I was never a big looker. Like when I was playing, I didn't really care about like world rankings or anything like that. So I, I'll be honest, I don't know the system that well, and I know a lot of players probably know the system inside out and know what they need to play to get certain ranking points. And I've never been one of those people, but I'd like to know more about it now that I'm on the other side. But it, it, it's like the top players don't need to worry about it so much because things just, just happen in inverted commas. They just happen, don't they? Yes. But when you're in the Travis Smythe, Robin Choi section of your career, that's not true. You need you need every ranking spot you can get. That's exactly for, right. For financial reasons or entry reasons, anything. Yeah. And, you know, for the top 20, 30 people in the world, it doesn't matter at all, does it? No. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I found that interesting. But, I yeah, I found it very interesting, some ranking points that, you know, were given in Asia and Europe compared to the secondary tours in LPGA what, uh, and uh, US, sorry. What, have you got any inkling as to why? Because the Symmetra Tour is brutally competitive. I mean, it may not be the best tour in the world. We know that, but it's brutally competitive. It's absolutely. It's very, very strong tour. Um, so I don't know. I was actually texting with a uh, fellow host here, uh, Alison Whitaker. Yes. Um, but yeah, and well, she was the one actually that alerted me to it, but maybe maybe she would know more about it. So we'll have to uh, we'll ask Ali next time she's in. Well, let's do that. And we we might actually put out a bit of a call for uh, you know to a bit a bit more transparency uh, of of what actually goes on in both sets of world rankings. And I just scroll down as we as we do this, and I'm not sure, but on the first page of the Australians on the Rolex rankings, I can't find any longer the name Stacy Peters. <laughs> or, oh, there it is. How far did you have yeah, to scroll down I'm there, now, Hazy? Uh, Twelve hundred and thirty-three. Have, in the I world. Ca- have I moved this week, or Hazy um, usually just to let the listeners know? Hazy usually um, <laughs> lets me know every week in the office what move uh, I have made. You've Obviously, gone down eleven spots. Have I dropped? It's, okay, which I know is pretty disappointing to you. And I um, think I'm, I'm actually told you can be removed from the rankings. So, <laughs> but you know, I'm just hanging on, Hazy. I'm hanging on. Zero point one one. Uh, points you're defending. Can't be long. I've nearly been working for two years now, so it can't be long to go. So those are the last 11 <laughs> points of a point. Yep. They're, yep. they're in jeopardy. I'm hanging on, Hazy. 12.33. Did our Blitz event not count? Well, if you'd played more than nine <laughs> holes, you might have. Oh, that's right. Actually, I got knocked out, didn't I? <laughs> well, anyway, yes, I think you we realise do... that your Inside the Ropes contract is in jeopardy if it gets under twelve hundred and fifty. That's oh, that was the that was right. the stipulation. We'll tell uh, we'll tell Brad I'm playing a couple of events. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. Yeah. Anything else you want to put on the table before we wrap this up? Um, what else have we got? I did notice actually. We uh, we were talking earlier about uh, caddies and how yeah. much people get. Uh, paid and that sort of thing. I don't know if you noticed uh, Kevin Nah winning last week. Mm-hmm. We you actually got this. Uh, God, I'm not a car person. Hazy, help me out. But uh, this very fancy car he got along with his winner's check. Right. He gave that. He gifted that to his caddy. Did he really? Yes. What a bonus. No. Did he have a chat with M Kucha before? <laughs> maybe. I think Cooch could maybe take a leaf out of uh, Kev's book 
and maybe um, yeah, just look after the caddy a little more. But well, no, what a treat. And that uh, caddy's worked with Kevin for like, I think they said 10 years or something. Yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Very uh, cool to see. I, you know, Andy and I sort of gave Kevin Nara a couple of little backhanders earlier in the show. So Ooh. it's good for you to sort of straighten us up a little bit. So that's. I was happy to see that one. Oh, so. That's great. Well, it's been a bit of a disjointed program today, and we do apologize for the late arrival of Inside the Ropes into where you listen to your podcast, but uh, we couldn't miss the opportunity to speak to Adam Scott nor Hannah Green uh, in big weeks for both of them. So we really appreciate both their um, patronage, I guess, is the right word. I'm not sure. Uh, on Inside the Ropes, Scotty for the first time, Hannah for the third or fourth. Um, great to have them on. Hope you enjoyed listening to them. Stace, appreciate you coming in and uh, early in the morning to finish off our podcast. And uh, thanks to Andy Marr earlier on for uh, sending us in train. Thank you. And that's episode 104 in the books, Inside the Ropes. We'll catch you again next week.